All right, so I, so I tried to push the donuts on everyone, and it didn't, it didn't take. I, I'm very proud of you, okay? Because I would have been grabbing all of them sprinkled donuts, okay? I'm, I, you saved me with a couple uh, younger adults in the room taking those donuts, so. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. So glad you're here. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up and read the scriptures together? This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says this, starting in verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Verse 10, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. We're almost done. Verse 12. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. Remember that phrase, ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry of giving, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Grab a seat. Hey, uh, I'm so excited to be sharing with you today. If you don't know me, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and also... We just do a lot of stuff around here, and so I push donuts and I play guitar, but I'm just so grateful um, that you decided to join us for church today. Everyone joining us online, welcome home. I hope to see you soon in the house. Uh, two quick things. There's no youth group this Monday, no youth life group. Um, they're taking this Monday off. If you were youth or a student um, and you've been going, don't come. Second is that we have a membership class coming up. Last week we talked about membership. And so we've got a membership class coming up July 23. Registration is on the website. Just go to highlandsla.com and you can see a little click for registration for membership. We'd love to see you there. We had a couple folks already interested and so um, we wanted to make sure that we had that available July 23rd. Lunch is there and childcare is also provided. Praise the Lord. Okay. All right, as we continue on in our summer series, let me explain why we do what we do the way we do here at Highlands. Today, I'd like to talk through something that's often negatively assumed about the church and almost always misunderstood by both those in and outside of the church walls, and that is the practice of giving, specifically giving to the church. And I, listen, I, I get that money is a touchy subject, for many of us, it, there never seems like there's enough or it just doesn't go as far as it used to, especially here in Southern California. I don't know if you knew this, but LA was recently rated the second most expensive city in America to live in. Second, second to New York City, okay? Cost of living here is 51% higher than the national average. So if you factor that in with, with kids 
and families in school and gas prices and groceries and utilities and inflation, not to mention just having some fun in, in your life, money goes fast and you have to be careful with where it goes. You have to be careful with how you spend it. So, okay, so you take the realities of LA and then you throw in some of the pop culture headlines about another church leader who mishandled funds or a church who stole from its people or a pastor who bought a second helicopter and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, giving money to the church isn't something most people are real enthusiastic to talk about. Still, here we are. I bet you're glad you came to church today. Here we are. So where am I going with this? Let me, start, let me just start by saying that today is not a guilt trip for you to give more, nor is it an excuse for some to give less, okay? The whole intention for today is that as we look to God's word, the scriptures, that we confess to be true and the authority for life and faith and conduct, that we would all come to a fuller biblical understanding for money, resources, stewardship, and investment. And in response, we would discover why historically God's people made it a practice to give money to their congregations and why we do too. So that's where we're going. But before we get there, I also want you to know that I've never actually preached about giving before. I've been preaching for like 12 years, and this is my first sermon ever specifically about giving to the church. So pray for me. And listen, I, I think it's probably because I've always been a bit apprehensive to tell people what to do. I'd much rather kind of present this compelling vision for people to self-select and jump into. But God has been really working on my heart about this practice of generosity and giving and teaching me through so many of you who are just crazy generous, right? That giving, it isn't really about money, it's about trust. It's not about money, it's about obedience and in our faithful following of Jesus together. So we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it so we might normalize the inter and uh, internalize what so many choose to avoid. Let's talk about why we give, why it matters, and how it's ultimately a glimpse into the glory that God created us to reveal. Sound good? Yes, pastor. All right, so from the top, let's just, let's just get right into it. Here we go. From the top, why do we give? Well, as I, as I look to the scriptures, I see there are really two primary reasons that the church gives to the mission of God. And the first is, as God's people, that we give because God told us to give. Amen. We give because God told us to. And really, that's the only reason we need, okay? Now, we're going to get in, we're going to go beyond that today, but it's really just the only reason we need it. The core of this practice is the fact God told us to give. God told you to give, and so we must give. It's why we, why we give. And what's interesting, actually, is this practice of giving is, is the thing that God talks about most when we look to our scriptures. I know it's, it's, it sounds wild. There are 714 verses about love in the Bible. There are close to 500 verses about prayer and roughly 200 verses, 250 verses about faith and worship individually. But listen, there are more than 2,000 verses directed towards money, possessions, and giving. For real. I am not making this up. In the Gospels alone, Gospel, if you're kind of new to church, the Gospels are the first part of the New Testament. It's the story of Jesus, okay? And so in the Gospels alone, 10% of all verses, including 16 of the 38 parables, are directed at how we should see, manage, and spend our money, our resources. Isn't that crazy? God cares a lot 
about how we see our stuff and how we use what we've been given. Let me just throw a couple verses out there for reference. If you're taking notes, you can write these references down. I'm going to go through them quick, but i got a lot of Bible for you here. Starting in Proverbs 11, it says this, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. If you search for good, you'll find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. Trust in your money, and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. That's Proverbs 11. Here's Proverbs 3. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. Not too bad. Deuteronomy 16. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Let me say that one more time. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Amen. Romans 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. A couple more. Proverbs 28. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Malachi 3. Bring the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Two more here. First Timothy 6. It says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And, and this is it. I could go on and on and on about 2,000 more times, okay? But I think you get the point. And so we give because God told us to give in the scriptures. God, God tells us to give, and so we give. But this begs the question, why does God care so much about how we see and use and spend our money? Why does God tell us to give? Well, this is the second reason. We give because God gives, and we're with him. We give because God gives, and we're with him. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, if you look to the scriptures, the story of God in the Bible, from cover to cover, we see that our God is a giver. Starting first in the beginning, the garden, God created the world, and what did he do? He gave it to Adam and Eve to care for and to steward. Everything was good. Everything was perfect, and God gave it to them to govern and to enjoy. Fast forward to Abraham. God calls him and gives him identity. God gives him identity. He says that he would be the father of his, his nation. And then, and then God gave Abraham children and a legacy and a promise of land, nation, and blessing. God gave Abraham resources. From there, God gave the people of Israel. He gave them physical provision in the wilderness, rained manna from the sky, and gave them victory in battles. He gave them then the land that was promised to Abraham. 
Then he gave them the law to protect them and mercy when they failed to live into that law. Then God gave, himself, gave them his word through the prophets before giving himself as the living word of God, Jesus once and for all, to pay our debt for sin and free us from our past. God gave us himself. Our God is a giver. God gave and gives because our God is a giver. And this God who called us and saved us and welcomed us into his house, he wants us to be like him and to trust him and join him as he continues to give, to extend his kingdom project and his mission on the earth. And this is ultimately why we give, not out of compulsion, not out of obligation, not, out of, uh, not as a tax, and, and not as a place or a way to earn our, our place into heaven. We give because we were born again into a family of givers. It's just who we are now. And our, and our good father in heaven, who, who, he's the head of our house, right? He sets the culture for who we'll be as a family of believers. This good father, he wants us to give, not because he needs it. Everything, everything we see belongs to him anyway. He wants us to be givers because when we give, we're reflecting out into the world what he is like and his kingdom takes new ground. David Campbell, he's a, a pastor, a professor, and writer, he says it like this. He says that all of God's purposes on earth are based on the concept of giving. It's through the giving of our time and our resources that his kingdom is extended. And what's so cool about this reality is God is inspecting you. He isn't expecting you to hustle, to come up with stuff to give, to be like him, to extend his kingdom as a giver. No, in our opening scripture, we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says that God promises to give you, to supply you with everything you need, to be faithful to your place in his house and your role in his mission. I just want to read this one more time. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 8. It says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I hope you caught that. The God who has no lack, the God who has no lack will generously provide all you need, and then you, will all, then you will always have all you need and plenty left over to give. He gives the seed and the bread. How about that? He provides the increase and produces a great harvest. God will do the work. God will do the work, and God will give you what you need. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a season of lack, but I tell you what, sometimes... We might not always feel like this is the case. You might not always feel like you have what you need, but, but this is the promise that we have in the scripture, and this is the promise as Christians we confess to be true, that God will provide for you. God will give you everything you actually need to be faithful. Now that said, let me, let me bring a little context to this promise, because here's what I'm not saying. Well, God promises to give you what you need to be faithful. God does not promise to give you everything you want to be comfortable. And he doesn't promise to give you everything you think you need to be safe or set up or successful or cool or relevant or even satisfied. 
No, God promises to give you everything you need to be faithful to your call and your place in his house. Does that make sense? In God's infinite wisdom, outside of all space and time, in God's infinite wisdom, he knows all the ways you'll serve him. He knows all the ways that you will show the world what he is like. God knows all the ways you'll live for him and carry his glory into the world. And, and he will give you everything you need to do that good work. If being a Christian is being a quarterback playing football, what I'm saying is that God will supply you with the football. He will supply you with the pads and the helmet and the shoes. He will provide you with the money to train, to hit up the gym, and the coaches to build you up around you. He will provide, he'll even put you on a team. But as a quarterback, he doesn't promise to give you a basketball, regardless of how much you might want it. Why not? Is God holding out on you like he doesn't want you to dribble? No, it's just that a basketball isn't part of the job of being a quarterback. Now, forgive, for, forgive the loose illustration if it didn't connect, but what I'm saying is God is a giver. God is a giver, and he might give you more than you need in this life. Absolutely. He might bless you with comfort. He might bless you with stuff. He might bless you with prosperity and abundance. He might give you that basketball or a Tesla or a dream job or 10 kids or a massive bonus at work. He might, but he will. This is the promise. He will always supply you with what you need to be faithful in his kingdom work on the earth. And this means low pressure, but this, this means that our responsibility as Christians, it isn't to come up with all the stuff. It's to simply live with open hands, to receive what he has for us and open hands to give what he requires from us. And what is that? What does God want us to receive from him? Everything we need to be faithful. And what does God require from us? everything we need to be faithful. And this is why Christians give and have given across, uh, across human history because we believe that God is a giver and we're like him, born again to be like him and to give our lives to his kingdom work in the world. And this is why we give theologically. Now with all that said, let's get out of the philosophical and the theological and into the practical as we talk about us and why we give, what we give, and how we give, specifically here at Highlands. Because if you're anything like me, while well, this concept of being a giver, because God is a giver, sounds really comforting. It sounds really amazing, and it makes sense up here. I think the application of this reality and really trusting the process of giving can be a challenge, right? Making everything available to God to use for his glory in theory is awesome. It's great, but it can get a little nerve-wracking at the end of the month when I think about paying my mortgage. It can get a little nerve-wracking at the end of the month when I think about paying for the kid's school or for food or for shoes or taxes because life is expensive. And here, what, 51% more expensive than everywhere else. So how does this play out? How does this play out? Well, the good news is that God understands our anxiety and our potential insecurities when it comes to money. God gets it because he made us and he knows us even better than we know ourselves. Still, our confession is that he also knows what's best for us. And so the following is what he says is best. That as we learn and grow 
to live with open hands with everything we've been given. God, he, he gives us three specific practices that giving practices, really, that, that we have adopted as a church to help build our trust toward him as a provider while also working to extend his kingdom reach in the world. So we're going to talk through three key giving practices. Again, we have been given everything by God, and we're living with open hands, but as we live with open hands, with all that we have, God still wants to create focus and priority for a few key practices. And these are tithing, offering, and giving to those in need. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The three key practices of giving that form trust and obedience and grow us in generosity is tithing, offering, and giving to those in need. In our pre-service meeting, um, someone said, what's, what's the difference? Well, let me explain, um, starting with tithing. So what is tithing? Tithing, or the tithe, is simply and practically, and I guess literally, when someone chooses to give 10% of what they earn or what they have back to God through a local ministry context or through a, like a local church family. This practice comes from the motivation that, again, God gave us 100% of what we have and as a way of acknowledging his generosity, but also his abundance and the source of all we have, we, we, we give back a tenth or a tithe. Tithe means 10%. A tithe as a thank you and also a way to support God in his kingdom work. This is the tithe. And when, when I was growing up, I don't know what your church background is. I was talking to some of you earlier, and I was just like, man, when I was growing up, I heard about tithing, but my assumption was that the tithe was for, like, the Old Testament, and Christians, like, we didn't have to do that anymore. And, and honestly, for most of my life, I think that was my understanding because the, the tithe was in the law of Moses, like the Ten Commandments for Israel. And, and Jesus, he fulfilled that law, right? And, and so now we don't have to do that stuff anymore because, because, you know, we don't have to do that to be good with God anymore. And, and while there's some truth to this reasoning, Jesus does make us right with God now, and he is our law and our leader, Amen. But what I failed to see, I think, for most of my life, is that the tithe, was, which was actively practiced by Jesus, the tithe, which was actively practiced by the early church, it wasn't actually instated through the law of Moses. But rather, it began with Abram long before the law was given. Now, what am I saying here? That the, that the law, okay, that Jesus came to fulfill, that we are not under the obligation of anymore, absolutely, included something about the tithe, but the tithe was actually given and instated long before the law existed, okay? And so, and so um, I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but, but the story goes like this in Genesis 14, that Abram, who's called the father of faith in Christ, so remember that, Abram, or Abraham, is called the father of faith in Christ in the New Testament. He was on a journey when his nephew Lot was captured and his house was plundered. And so he gathered 318 trained men to go and rescue his people and get all of his stuff back. And it was there, after retrieving and like this massive success, after getting everything back, it was there in victory that a man named Melchizedek, who is called the king of Salem, which means peace, the king of peace, picture that, and the priest of the God Most High, he went to Abram with bread and wine, and he spoke this blessing from Genesis 14. Check it out. It says, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, 
creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. In response to this blessing, to this good news, it says Abraham, or Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe, or a tenth of all the goods he recovered. And that's, that's really it's interesting, because it's kind of this key moment in the scriptures, but that's actually all we hear about Melchizedek until we hit the New Testament, when the writer of Hebrews goes on to expand on this encounter, saying that Melchizedek is actually and essentially the pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ on earth. What he's saying in Hebrews is that this was Jesus before Jesus was born. Isn't that amazing? If anyone ever says the Bible is boring, you are wrong. The king of peace, the prince of peace, right? That brings bread and wine, brought communion to Abram, the father of faith. And in response to this blessing, it says Abram brings his tithe to Christ through Melchizedek. And y'all, this is the birth of the tithe, not the law. This is the birth of the tithe, and this practice of giving 10% to God continued all the way up to Christ and into the early church. But its purpose from the beginning was always the same. It was to support the ministry and blessing of God on earth. From Melchizedek to Abram to the priests in the tabernacle to the temple teaching the truth of God to the elders and pastors of the early church all the way up to today, the tithe is meant to support the ministry of God on earth. And, and while, yes, one more time, we are not under the law that forced followers of Yahweh to, like, fund the organizational structure of Israel. Absolutely. Got it. I'm not being dogmatic about this at all. We do believe that the tithe is a framework for giving and trust exercise for God's people to grow in faith and generosity, which is why we at Highlands endorse the practice of tithing. We believe it's important and where, and it also determines where we think our money should go, to sharing and blessing and the good news of Christ. Now, practically, we believe this, this intention, this giving, the tithe, it applies to funding the local church. This is how we connect dots. As it equips the body of believers to go and extend God reach in the world. This funding applies to everything from paying the church staff to uh, funding church ministries, to running the air conditioner, to, uh, to buying paper plates for potlucks, and even supporting missionaries. The tithe is given by the church budget, uh, sorry, the tithe is given by the church body to fulfill the approved church budget assigned by you so the church body can grow in faith and to go with faith to show the world what God is like. Are you with me? Okay, good. This is the purpose of the tithe. It's 10% of what you, the church, receives from God, given back to God through your local church to join God in his mission. Awesome. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what about tithing to other things? What about tithing to other, like, organizations that are doing good work, taking my 10% and putting it towards campus ministries or building clean water wells in Africa? Good question. This is what we believe. Well, those other God-honoring ministries are great, and exciting and should be supported. And I know it's not always inspiring to give money, to run an air conditioner, or to pay for a broad ministry budget that doesn't really affect you always. We see in the Bible that your primary giving is to be given to God and directed toward your local assembly and the church that you call home, given to Christ through the church, through the deacons that are covering and caring for this community. 
And this is, this is the tithe. Again, it's not law, but it's an essential practice and starting point for God's people on their road toward giving and generosity, taking just a portion of what we receive and giving it back to God, giving it back to God for the continued ministry of Christ through the church. So that's number one, the giving practice of tithing. Now, let's move on to offerings, because, because when I, again, when I, when I was grew up, that's what I thought all, of, all giving was, was just bringing your offering to church. And in a way, I think it even says offering on the box over here, okay? Everyone, let's, let's get some more stickers and write tithes and offerings on there. But anyway. Here we go. So I, I grew up thinking that all giving was offering, but historically, historically, offerings were given by God's people to help with specific growth goals in their community. Notably, after Israel was freed from captivity and, um, and they wanted a place to worship, Moses asked for special offerings to come and help build the tabernacle, right? And then once the, God's people reached the promised land, more offerings were given to build the temple. But in both instances, there was a growth project, and when the project was complete, additional offerings were no longer needed or accepted. It was a short-term giving growth project. And, uh, and again, we see this practice in the New Testament, not so much with the building of a physical building, but rather in the raising of a spiritual temple. When Paul would go out on his missionary journeys, he had supporters that would help fund his trip as he went out to build up the body of Christ and expand God's kingdom reach. So offerings, uh, they go to help with projects outside of regular ministry, local giving. For example, you probably remember this from last year. This past year, we asked for offerings to help us update our church lobby, right? We knew how much it would cost, and so we said, uh, we said, hey, will you support it? And you did what? You gave, and we completed the project. And now we have a more useful space for gathering and growing in faith as a church, but we're no longer taking offerings for the lobby. This is what offerings are for. And as the church continues to grow and move, it's likely we'll have a ton more projects like this that exist outside of like a normal operating budget. But again, these projects won't be ongoing. Rather, they will be, uh, once they're completed, the offerings will no longer be needed. I know that a lot of this is just like, oh, David, what are you talking about right now? This is so boring. But listen, <laughs> friends, all of this giving is not random, Okay. It's not out of some forced obedience or to make our church cooler. As great as the lobby is, we don't give to make our church cooler. All this giving is directed towards sharing the good news of Christ Amen. and passing on his blessing to the world, which is ultimately, again, what God is calling us to, and so we give. And this brings us up to our final giving practice, and that is giving to those in need. God has always made it a priority always for his people to give to those in need. He even wrote certain laws uh, to guarantee that the poor, both in and outside of Israel and in and outside of the church, were cared for and supported. Jesus went on to model this expectation all throughout the Gospels and in his ministry, passing it on to the early church. And the book of Acts chapter 2 shows how this early church adopted this priority, starting in verse 44. It says this on the screen. It says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. 
They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what happened? They shared everything they had, open hands, right? Open hands, shared everything they had. They sold their property, they sold their possessions, and they gave to those in need with great joy and generosity. This is how the early church followed the God who gives, by making everything available and sharing it with those in need. And what happened? This is what's so cool. This is the whole point. God's kingdom was extended. That's the whole point. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved daily. And this is, again, everything that we're talking about. Yeah, giving to those in need and helping people practically and physically is super important. But it's never God's intention for us to stop, uh, to stop there. God doesn't want the church to only feed hungry people for a day. He wants us to invite hungry people into the house of God, where the door is always open and the table is always set. I remember hearing about the Salvation Army when it first started out. They would go, and they were, their whole mission, right, was to expand God's kingdom, but what was their method? They said, we're not going to bring the gospel unless we bring a sandwich first. And so, yes, they wanted to feed hungry people. And yes, we respond to that call of giving to those in need, but it's always for the greater goal. It's always for the greater goal of inviting lost people to be found and found people to live free. Now, now, many of you know here at the church we have a number of giving opportunities and ministries that we support in giving those in need. First of all, we have a benevolent fund um, that's only purpose is to serve those and help care for those people that need. And we collect to fill this fund the first Sunday of every month, and then we give it away to anyone in or outside of these walls that has real needs, both in and outside the church. We also have a food ministry here called Sue's Garden that exists to serve and support those who don't have enough to eat. We regularly receive financial support from y'all to fund this ministry. It's also in our church budget, which is amazing. As a church, we actually give to, as a whole church, we give to those in need. But it's also, um, we also, as a church, we hold like regular canned food drives. And Deborah, we're doing that right now, right? Coming up, when's the date? Next Sunday, everyone bring canned food because we're going to be refilling the shelves for Sue's Garden. Um, beyond that, in the last year, we sent money to Mississippi to help with clean water after they had some flooding. Uh, we sent kids to camp on scholarship. We've helped with rent and car payments and car insurance and car repairs. We've helped with cell phone bills and utilities. We've even given to help fund missions and missionaries all over the world um, that not only care for those in need, but do so in Jesus' name. And this is key. Physical needs matter, and so we give. But our chief aim in giving must be showing the world the God who gives. Amen. And again, that's what we see in our opening scripture from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 11. I love this. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. So two things, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. A little bit more. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Y'all, when we give, the world will see God. 
when we give, the world will see God, and that is why we do what we do. As a result of this ministry and practice of giving, the church will grow and give glory to God, for our generosity will prove to believers, 2 Corinthians 9, and to the world from Acts chapter 2, that we are obedient to the good news of Christ, and that, and that the good news really is good. And it really is good, and this is why we give. Three ways. This is why we tithe. So the world, so the good news of God who gave everything might be seen in the church and shared by its people so the world might know and believe and be saved. This is why we bring our offerings so his church might grow and stretch and take on new projects that will expand its reach and effectiveness in showing the world who God is. And lastly, this is why we give to those in need so the world might know that the gospel truly is good news for all people. And as a result, they will give, they will give glory to God. And this is why we give. So all might know who God, the God who gives. And yet, okay, that's, that's like the end. I'm wrapping up. You know, the, the plane is on its descent down to the runway, okay? I know sometimes it's like, Pastor, how long are you going to go on this? And I'm just, I'm giving you now. So like you can kind of, you know, put your seat and tray tables up and like get ready to land. <laughs> I know this has been a lot to take in, but as we close, it's important for us to remember um, from 2 Corinthians 9 that, that while giving isn't an option for God's people, we are giving people because we have a giving God. With that said, verse 7 says that you must still each decide in your heart how much to give. Giving isn't an option. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much and what to give. Yes, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. But you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly. And don't give in response uh, to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And there are times, guys, where when we walk with open hands, what are we doing? We are collecting the generosity of others. And there are other seasons in life where, where we are sharing our generosity with others. Either way, the promise is that God will give us everything we need to live faithful. But it's still up to you to decide what to give. God has given you everything you have, and everything belongs to him. He has no lack and will continue to provide you with everything you need to live your greatest life. But this practice of giving isn't the law. He doesn't need your stuff to accomplish his purposes. God has plenty. What he does want is your heart. Amen. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's what I want you to consider. A bit of a consideration and a bit of a challenge as we're hitting like 5,000 feet approaching the runway here. If you're a Christian, then you are born again to walk with open hands to receive and to give. So here's what I want you to consider and a bit of a challenge. I want you to join me and many others in these practices of giving. I know that a lot of you are faithful in this, but for anyone that's been on the fence, listen, I spent most of my life employed by the church, and so it always felt a little weird to me for me to give to a church that paid me from that giving. You know what I mean? It felt real circular. And so for a lot of times, like I walked, I walked open-handed with almost everything in my life. It's just what I saw modeled to me 
But I always, I, 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 I would say that my greatest problem wasn't walking overhand, it was living with intention with what I've been given. And so my challenge for you, and maybe this is you too, is that I just encourage you to join me in the tithe. Join me in the tithe, giving a portion of what God has given you back to God through this church. Join me in the tithe and start as a starting point for your giving and your generosity. And maybe, maybe initially it's not 10%, maybe it's 2%. But let's start somewhere. Join me in faithful support to the ministry of God on earth through this church. Second, join me in giving offerings toward growth projects that will extend our reach in the community. I know this might be a little bit more fun than just paying for a daily operation budget, but, but we, in the next year, we've got a lot to do and we have a lot to give toward. And so as those projects come, I just ask, consider in the challenge, join me in these, in these growth projects. And lastly, join me in giving to those in need. And that can be anything from supporting a kid through Compassion International to, um, to giving to our benevolent fund here at the church the first Sunday of every month, to bringing canned food, to bring and support Sue's Garden and the shelf that serves so many people. But my challenge to you and to me and to all of us is let's start giving to what God is doing in the world. Let's be givers, not takers. Let's be generous so all might see what God is like through the way we live and the way that we use and prioritize our things. And this isn't a guilt trip. Unless the Holy Spirit is coming down on you right now, this isn't a guilt trip from me or a desperate plead for more. Our God has plenty. And God's purposes will be done here. So this isn't a guilt trip. It's just me asking you to join me in being faithful with what God has already given you. So I want to pray for you, and I want to ask that God would just speak to us in this moment. And again, I, I also want you to understand that I know the realities of life. I moved, um, <laughs> we moved from the Midwest, where you could buy a house for like $200,000, okay? Yeah. And gas prices are still like two bucks a gallon there, okay? So I get it. The first couple of years here have been a massive financial update for us as a family. Just learning how to budget, learning how to spend, learning what not to spend, learning how to prioritize our money and our stuff. So I get it, okay? Um, I, just, I just want us to be a church that walks with open hands. Because if you walk with open hands, God's promise to give you everything you need, you'll be ready to catch that. If you're walking with closed hands, yeah, you might not lose the stuff you got, but you're certainly not gonna be ready to catch what's next. So I want us to be a church that lives generously and walks with open hands because our God is the giver. And everything we see belongs to him. So I wanna pray for you, and then we're gonna hit the road and, and, uh, and uh, the landing gear is down. We're just about hit, okay? I feel really good about this metaphor of the plane right now, I feel like. But after service, we're gonna um, head over to Two Strike Park for just a family park day. No pressure, no stress if you don't wanna go. Stop by Taco Bell, Carter Thomas. Stop by and pick up your burrito and, um, and meet us over at Two Strike. It's gonna be a great time just hanging out with the church family. Um, come and go as you want. Um, Carter, right, Taco Bell? Yeah, okay, good, that's good. Okay, good. All right. Um, but let's pray, and then we can, uh, we can have a, just a great Sunday. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe that you're real, that you're good, that you love us, and you lead to peace. We ask that you lead us to peace in this moment as we think about our money. 
We ask that you lead us to peace today as we think about giving and living open-handed with all the things that never seem like there's enough. God, we thank you for the promises. And God, we ask that even in this moment that you would just give us faith and give us belief and give us the courage to trust you with our things. God, that we would see with open eyes that everything around us, the whole world is yours. And you have handed it to us to enjoy and to steward and to, to make most of it so that we might show the world who you are, God. And, I, and I, I recognize that. But God, in this moment, we just we acknowledge that everything we have is yours. And everything we've been given is yours. And, and this, everything we see is yours. And so, God, in this moment, we just want to live with open hands. We ask that you'd give us everything we need to be faithful. And God, you'd give us the courage to live with open hands, to be faithful with what we've been given. Maybe that's a tithe. Maybe that's an offering. Maybe that's caring for those in need. Maybe you are in need and you need someone to bless you. Let's live with open hands as a church so we might show the world what God is like in ways only we can. So God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you love us and that you give us and you provide for us and you supply us with everything we need to be faithful, God. We're so grateful for the ways that you love us and that, you, that you've honored us and welcomed us into your house, a house with no lack, a house where the table is always set. God, we, we thank you for that today. And we celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your provision. We celebrate your mercy. We celebrate your love. And so, Jesus, we thank you one more time. And it's in your name that we have gathered. It's in your name that we give. It's in your name that we worship and sing and pray. It's in your name that, that we are anything at all because we are covered by your blood. And so, Jesus, we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray and we all said, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Go grab an extra donut, okay, please. I don't want to walk around anymore. And I uh, hope to see you at the park after church. Thank you.